This is Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love, a podcast ministry brought to you by Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. Hello and welcome to Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love. I'm Carmen Pate and I'm your host for the podcast, What has happened to grace in the 21st century church? As in the days of Paul, the realities of grace and its infinite glories in the life of a believer are often misunderstood and sadly not accurately taught. As a result, many Christians today are not experiencing the joyful spirit-led life that is realized under grace. Well, today we want to continue our discussion of this unlimited love of God expressed in measureless favor towards those who believe in His Son. Our guest today is Dr. Dave Anderson, founder and president of Grace School of Theology and author of numerous books, including Triumph Through Trials, Free Grace Soteriology, Maximum Joy, and Bewitched, among others. He has served as a pastor, church planter, and professor of biblical languages for over 30 years in over 15 countries. Dr. Anderson, welcome back to Saving Grace. Thank you, Carmen. So glad to be here. Well, you know, last week you gave our listeners a really good overview of what it means to live in light of God's love, and a love that we know can't be earned and can't be lost. And so today we'd like to explore about what has happened to that grace in the church today. It almost seems as though it's, it's gone missing. Uh, we know the early church veered away from that early orientation of, of God's grace. So what were the circumstances that caused that setback? Well, you know, we don't know exactly. We know by 100 AD that Grace is lost from the literature. Uh, Of course, he told the Galatians within two or three years of his coming through that they had already shifted to another gospel. Yes. But uh, by 100 with the shepherd of Hermas, it's an all works orientation to get eternal life. Pretty well stays that way right on down to uh, Augustine. Augustine does reintroduce grace, uh, especially in his struggles with Pelagius. He's saying there's nothing inherently good within man that can fan a flame, get a fire going that would uh, burn its way right into the gates of heaven. Uh, So, uh, you know, grace was lost for a long, long time there. Uh, Augustine himself, uh, you know, made his own definitions of grace. Yes. uh, In what seems to us to be a contradiction, uh, he said, well, you get grace from God, but grace includes so many different things. It's the gift of this and the gift of this and the gift of this, including the gift of perseverance. So he says, if you don't remain faithful to the end of your life, uh, you never were elect to begin with. So it put the onus right back on the believer to remain faithful, to stay fessed up. Uh, their salvation was only as good as their last confession. So there seemed to be a lot of contradictions yes. uh, within Augustine. As Philip Schaff, the great historian, said, his uh, Augustine's Theology is extremely gloomy and depressing. So the reformers' attempt to bring grace back actually did not bring the true biblical grace that we know of uh, back. It was certainly a distorted view of it, correct? Well, if you're talking about the reformers, meaning Zwingli, Luther, uh, Calvin, Melanchthon, uh, Melanchthon certainly made a real stab at it when he brought in what we call 
forensic justification. Those are fancy words to talk about courtroom, forensic files, uh, and then justification to be declared righteous by God. Uh, The Catholics said uh, justification is a linear thing. It starts with your regeneration when you're water baptized as an infant. And that's when you get your first infusion of the character of Christ. Then whenever you do mass and good works and give money, uh, you get further infusions of the character of Christ. So for them, justification is being made righteous. Melanchthon came along and saw Romans 4.3 where it says Abraham believed and it was credited unto him for righteousness, reckoned unto him for righteousness. He says, whoa, that's not in your character, that's in your standing before God. So that is in the courtroom, and he said, that's going to take care of your sins, past, present, and future. So with that understanding, a whole new door opened. Mm -hmm. Up to that point, there had been no way to deal with future sins. If you can't deal with future sins, there's no way to have eternal security. When Melanchthon said your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future, then no future sin you committed could take away your justification. So that was grace. Uh, However, as uh, the attacks from the the Council of Trent began, and that was the Roman Catholic uh, response to the Reformers, uh, they were saying, if you go out and teach that kind of justification, not a change in your character, but a change in your standing, then you're going to promote license. If you tell people their future sins are already forgiven, uh, they'll live like hell. And so he began to respond to that, that is, John Calvin did. His first edition of his Institutes was only six chapters long, and that was in 1536. By the time he finishes, there are 80 chapters. That's in 1559. Most of that's a response to the attacks from the Council of Trent concerning this new theology that the Reformers were teaching. And as he responded, he slowly but surely uh, brought works back into the picture Mm. and basically said, if you don't remain faithful to the end of your life, you never were elect. Oh, that's what Augustine was teaching to begin with. Yes, yes. And so we see so much of that taught, obviously, in the church today. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and there is no assurance for those who are, are under that teaching because they don't know if they've done enough. They don't know if uh, until their dying moment, uh, before, until they see Christ. Oh, correct. Uh, the uh, Roman Catholics uh, say that it's the height of pride the height of hubris to think that you can know for certain now that you'd go to heaven when you died. Now, to be consistent, there are many and have to say the same thing, and so do the Calvinists. Because there are many and say, if you don't continue faithful to the end of your life, you lose your salvation. The Calvinists say, if you don't remain faithful to the end of your life, you never had it. You never were elect. So in both cases, like the Catholics, you have to remain faithful to the end of your life. Well, if that's the case, when will you know if you're going to heaven? Mm-hmm. It won't be till the end of your life. Mm. So there's a crisis in assurance. There's no basis for it with that approach. Yes, yes. Well, you know, our flesh so wants to take credit for our salvation, doesn't it? Wants to take credit for our good works. Uh, But human obligation and merit really cannot coexist with grace, can they? Well, no, uh, by definition. Grace is unmerited favor. Unmerited. So it can't be merited and unmerited at the same time. Yes. Well, I, I think, uh, you know, it's when you, when you stop and consider um, the amazing gift of grace, uh, that just being in awe of God's goodness and kindness to us when we were so unworthy, 
Uh, and it, it, it seems that uh, I know just from experience and, and from others who who believe that we are saved by by faith alone in Christ alone, that our eternal salvation is secure. That's motivation to want to live for him. And yet those who would criticize would say, as you were pointing out, well, you're just giving someone license to live, but not if they have a true understanding. Right, Dr. Anderson? Uh, exactly. Uh, uh, if grace is really understood, it's more motivating than fear. Uh, you can motivate people through fear. There's no, no question about it. In fact, I knew a man who didn't trust Christ till he was 62 and he said he grew up in a, a, a church background that was constantly beating him up and, you know, hanging him over the jaws of hell. He said it was all fear. And when he found Christ and his amazing love and complete 100 unconditional, 100% unconditional acceptance, he said, I want to get baptized in the River Jordan. So I took him over there with a group, baptized him. He came out of there and said, I've never had fear again. Ah, uh, because yeah. grace is motivating us to say thank you, mm-hmm. where fear is motivating us to say have to. And it's a total different way of life. No doubt about it. Well, our guest today is Dr. Dave Anderson, president of Grace School of Theology. Later in the program, we'll tell you how to learn more about Grace School and more importantly, how you can become involved either as a student or as a supporter of God's great work here. Well, let's get back to our subject matter. You know, we're talking about God's grace as it relates to salvation. Uh, And when you explore the, the conflict that exists between those who say that salvation is by God's grace alone and those who say that we must add works to obtain eternal life, it seems you have to address the issue of faith, faith itself. So does the will have an active role to play in our faith in Christ? Well, that's a huge discussion. Uh, some of my professors, while in seminary, were criticized by some in the reform camp uh, for saying, or at least they were said to say, that faith is just mental assent. Uh, in doing so, they were caricaturing their, the, that view and they were creating a straw man because I don't know anyone who says that faith is just mental assent. Although Augustine himself said uh, faith is uh, to think with assent, mm-hmm. uh, which is to think with agreement. Yes. Uh, Calvin said the same thing. Uh, many of the early reformers said it is mental assent. Uh, and as such, it's a passive thing. It's a receiving. Mm-hmm. Uh, John 1, 12, to as many as received Christ, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even those who believe in his name. So he's kind of defining believing for us there, even those okay. who believe in his name, as receiving. Well, uh, if that's true, then faith truly is just a passive thing. It wasn't until the English Puritans that the will became a focal point, And they decided that... The, with the will, you make a complete commitment to follow Christ and everything he says to do. That led to what we call lordship salvation. Mm-hmm. It says you have to submit to the lordship of Christ to be justified. Well, interestingly enough, uh, if that's true, it would have been in Romans 4 somewhere. Mm-hmm. It really doesn't show up until Romans 6, present your members as instruments of righteousness. Or Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's where the all-out lordship commitment yes. comes from. Yes, yes. So we don't believe in what we call lordship salvation, but we do believe in what we call lordship mm-hmm. sanctification. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, back to your question, uh, the will 
Can I have a part? A part? Well, again, there's this big discussion between is faith a persuasion or is it a decision? Billy Graham has a magazine called Decision Magazine. That's right. He'll have a crusade and they have X number of decisions. That certainly sounds like the will. And in Revelation 22:17, it talks about whosoever will, let him come and drink of the water of life freely. Can the will be part of it? Well, uh, I think it can be. Uh, I know people who have wrestled with this aspect of trusting in Christ and examine the evidence and come to a point which they said, okay, I not only believe this with my mind, but I'm going to completely trust it uh, with my emotions and uh, I'm making this decision right now. I can see that. I can also see a, a little girl growing up in a family that's a Christian home and they go to Wana maybe and memorize scripture, hear messages, and just over a period of time are slowly but surely persuaded that Jesus is who he said he was. And they can't remember any time that they mm-hmm. wrestled with all that and then made some humongous decision. Right. Uh, so I think one of the problems we run into, Carmen, is, as, as human beings, is trying to put God in a box. Mm, that's so true. And, and just, you know, we get all these, these little uh, things and formulas. And right, we, right. We get these verses and kind of squeeze God in there and says, okay, <laughs> this is what you have to do. Yeah. Well, he's just a whole lot bigger than that. Oh, yeah. And uh, I, for one, am not wanting to, to, to limit him to this, that, or the other. I agree. And, yeah. you know, when he talks about, you know, come as a child, uh, mm-hmm. child's not going to understand all those boxes and <laughs> what they have to do and what they can't, yeah. don't have to do, just yeah. that belief. Well, you know, we hear a lot of talk about saving faith and genuine faith. I mean, is there a faith that is insufficient for salvation? Well, I want to answer that, but I want to finish up the other I Left out one important thing. Yes. Although the the will could play a part in the decision, I do want to make it clear. I don't think with the will you have to make an all-out commitment to follow mm-hmm. Jesus and everything He says to do. That would be lordship salvation. We don't we don't go with that. But uh, can there be insufficient faith? Well, interestingly enough, in Scripture, uh, faith is faith. You don't find genuine faith and spurious faith. You don't find saving faith and unsaving faith. Uh, you do find different quantities of faith. Oh, you have little faith. Uh, or have faith as little as a grain of a mustard seed, say, into this mountain, be removed from the seed, it'll be removed. Or I've not seen such great faith in all of Israel. Yeah. So there's little faith, there's uh, great faith, uh, different quantities of faith, but not different qualities of faith. Mm, faith is point. faith. Mm-hmm. If you have faith to move the mountain, that's faith. If you have faith that... Uh, Christ is the Savior for your sins, that's faith. But insufficient faith, I don't see that in Scripture. Mm. Uh, Not even in James 2, if you want to jump into that, but I'll let you ask the questions. Well, you know, it it seems that we can get agreement in many Christian circles that salvation is by grace alone. But when it comes to our salvation being secure, some would say, well, now you have to live a good life in service to God in order for him to keep you saved. Uh, How does God's grace come into play and his his power to keep us saved when we're talking about eternal security? Well, notice again in your question, you said have to. Ah, yes. The moment you say yeah, have to right. live this kind of life in order to stay secure, mm-hmm. uh, you've left grace. Because yes. grace is an unmerited favor. But when you take, think of eternal security, uh, initially, John Calvin said, if you look 
to anyone other than Christ for your security, you're doomed. But his follower at the Geneva Academy, Theodore Beza, said, you can't necessarily look to Christ because he said Christ only died for the elect. You might be one of the non-elect, one of the reprobate. So if you're looking to Christ, you might be looking at a Savior who didn't die for you. So you can't look to Christ. You have to look at yourself. So you look at your fruitfulness and you look at your faithfulness. That becomes your basis for assurance. We would say if that's your basis for assurance, you'll never have it. Because you'll never know how faithful you have to be. Plus, there are many times you're not faithful. How good is good enough? Did you cross the line? Yeah. Uh, as far as fruit goes, uh, we've got people in Matthew seven twenty two who are producing good fruit. They cast out demons in Jesus' name. They do miracles in Jesus' name. They preach in Jesus' name. But Jesus finally says, I never knew you. So those are people who aren't believers in the sense we use believer, but they have good fruit. Mm-hmm. Or you could have believers who have bad fruit. 1 Corinthians 1, 2 says those believers are in Christ. They're sanctified in Christ. And in Paul, when you say in Christ, you're talking about in the body of Christ. And 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says it's the Holy Spirit who puts us into the body of Christ. There's other genuine believers in the body of Christ. They'll be in heaven. Yet some of them were involved in incest. But he says, if I'll turn you over to the destruction of Satan, yet the spirit will be saved, yet so is by fire. So he's not questioning whether his spirit will be in heaven. He's questioning how long that fellow will live on earth if he persists in his gross moral sin. In Ephesians 5, he's talking to people who are in Christ. That's what he says in chapter 1, verses 3 through uh, 14. But uh, he says in Ephesians 5, look, you were fornicators, you were adulterers, some of you were homosexuals. He says, stop that. We couldn't say stop it if they weren't still doing some of it. So those were saints with bad fruit. So fruit's not necessarily an indicator. Our foundation, our sense of eternal security and assurance of it comes primarily from looking at God, Mm -hmm. looking at his promises, looking at his person. So, for example, he's promised us that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, neither depth nor height. And he goes on down and says, neither things present nor things to come. Well, what things might come? Mm. My sin. That's right. Things to come. Mm -hmm. But he's saying, even my future sins cannot separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Now, you see, the Roman Catholic Church didn't have that because you were only as good as your last confession. They had no way to deal with future sins. That passage does it. It deals with future sins. And so we would say God's power, the Father and his power, he's able to keep you from falling, uh, Jude 24. We'd say even uh, the intercessory prayer ministry of the Son. Yes. He ever lives to make intercession for us. Mm-hmm. Not to mention the fact that it says in Hebrews 10 that he perfected forever. And forever is like, uh, in Greek, it's an expression that goes on into eternity. Uh, those who are being sanctified. You're already perfected forever. It says he made one sacrifice for all time and sat down. His work is finished. There is no more sacrifice for sin. That's a great basis for our security. Oh, it is. And finally, the Holy Spirit mm. says we're sealed by him under the day of redemption. Well, you'd put a seal on a crate of fruit sending oranges from Jaffa to Athens to protect it, to keep people from tampering with it. Oh, yeah. Well, we're God's fruit. We've been sealed by the Spirit. To tamper with that, you'd have to be stronger than the Holy Spirit. Unlikely. 
So that's the person of God and his many, many promises. That's what we rely on. So we have a lot of safeguards uh, many, in God's many, word many. to, to oh, keep yeah. us secure. And, and I, I, you mentioned uh, the intercessory prayer. And I was thinking about Peter, uh, particularly as we approach, uh, um, you know, we've, through the holidays, we, when we've done Easter, we talked about Christ rising. But we, the days before when Peter betrayed Christ, and remember, Christ said, you know, I've prayed for you uh, that, you know, that Satan wanted to to sift you as wheat. Uh, but when you come back, when you return, that you will uh, teach the brethren. And I, I think about that so often. Uh, I mean, Peter betrayed Christ. And yet Christ was assuring him that I've prayed that you will come back. Uh, that intercessory prayer should mean a lot for us as believers, knowing that Christ is there standing in the gap for us. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Well, when we think about uh, the, uh, the Holy Spirit, who not only seals us for eternity, but he's also keeping us in line so that we can be sanctified, uh, so that we are uh, changed into the image of Christ. Talk a little bit about that conviction. You know, we talk about judgment, how Christians will judge one another, uh, the world will judge uh, someone's sin, but it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict us. Talk about how that is intended to help us to become more Christ-like without trying to keep a set of rules for eternal security. Well, uh, we're told that the Holy Spirit will convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. I think that's primarily speaking to the world of unbelievers as they're convicted in their conscience of those three things. And that's part of the wooing ministry of God. But once uh, we are Christians, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. He not only seals us, he lives inside of us. Our body is his temple. And as such, he, a function of the Spirit, uh, with our human spirit, is to convict our conscience of truth, what is truth. And uh, and then through that, he will guide us. And we're said if we walk by the Spirit, in Galatians 5, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Or, as uh, it says in uh, Romans 8, 2, uh, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus is setting us free from the law of sin and death. And though we get a great vision of what we can be in Christ in Romans 6, we see our failure in Romans 7 as we try to do it through the flesh. In Romans 8, it's the Spirit. I think he's mentioned there some 17 times. Mm. I forget the exact number. But uh, clearly, as we shift from the flesh or self to reliance on the Spirit, He's the one who molds in us uh, these qualities. Uh, One of my favorite verses of all time for sanctification, in fact, if I had to pick just one, this would be it. 2 Corinthians 3.18, Beholding the Lord as in a mirror, you are transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Uh, so there it says our responsibility is just to behold, okay. to look at Jesus. Yes. Or as Hebrews says, look unto the author and finish of your faith. As we behold him, we see him in all his character qualities as revealed in Scripture. As we think about those character qualities, the Holy Spirit molds us, makes us, transforms us from character quality to character quality. That's what it means from glory to glory. Mm-hmm. He's like a sculptor. He, he, he kind of looks, looks around us and says, well, uh, Anderson needs a little more love. So he chip, chip, chip. He goes to the other side and says, well, he needs more patience. Chip, chip, chip. 
goes to the other side. What needs anger management? Chip, chip, chip. And it keeps going around and around and around and around for years, chipping away until the image of Christ is what emerges. Mm, A bunch of uh, sculptors, would-be sculptors, came to watch Michelangelo work on one of his pieces of marble, and he's chip, 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 chipping. And I think uh, Charles Swindoll first shared this illustration. One of the artists yelled out, uh, well, why don't you leave a little more marble, buddy? Too many chips on the floor. And Angelo says, uh, Michelangelo says, well, as the chips fall, the image emerges. Mm-hmm. But the Holy Spirit is the sculptor. He does the work. Uh, as Howard Hendricks used to say, I try, I fail. I trust he succeeds. Oh, so That's beautiful. And there's so much freedom in that. Such freedom. And that's what brings the joy mm-hmm. of serving the Lord because it's his work doing those things through us. Well, Dr. Anderson, thank you so much for this additional insight. Well, you know, if you have been encouraged or challenged by today's program, we want you to learn more about Grace School of Theology. You can visit our website at www.gsot.edu slash saving grace. That's gsot.edu slash saving grace. While you're there, won't you prayerfully consider how God might have you partner with us? Perhaps you're interested in becoming a student, or maybe God is calling you to offer financial support so others may learn, and the message of grace will continue to spread globally. You know, we'd love to hear from you, our listeners. You can send your questions or comments about today's podcast content to Saving Grace at gsot.edu. That's savinggrace at gsot.edu. There you can write those questions and we'll try to cover as many of those as we can right here on the podcast. Or you can also follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at SavingGraceCast. There you can find out about the next podcast, when it will be airing, maybe events that the school is sponsoring. So check it out uh, at your earliest convenience. Well, be sure to tune in to the next edition of Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love. Dr. Anderson's going to join us for a discussion of his book, Maximum Joy. It's a look at 1 John. Is it about relationship or fellowship? Well, you'll learn on the next podcast. Thanks for joining us. And remember, the love of Christ can never be earned and can never be lost. You have been listening to Saving Grace, a podcast ministry of Grace School of Theology. For more information, visit gsot.edu slash savinggrace. Views expressed on this podcast may not always be the views of Great School of Theology or its leadership.